My name is Rebecca Berstold and today I'm here with Rasmus Ölme. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this. Nice, me too. And we are in your apartment in Stockholm. Yeah. Yes. Could we start by you introducing yourself? Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, Rasmus Ölme uh, and uh, I uh, will... Sp- so. I'm not. I will. I'm Swedish. I come from a small town on the west coast called Varberg, where I grew up, and uh, I uh, came to Stockholm after my high school when I was 19 or so to study dance, uh, and um, became a dancer. Moved to Germany and then to Brussels, so I was abroad for. 12 years or so and then I came back to Sweden again in uh, 2007 so after a career as a dancer I started also making my own work and choreographing and um, uh, when I moved back here in 2008 so after a year I started doing a PhD here at uh, DOC Juniards in Stockholm finished in 2014 and then started working in uh, Copenhagen at the Danish National School of Performing Arts uh, as a head of program there. And so I've been there since 2015 and since a year and a half now I'm a professor there. Nice. And uh, that's where we know each other from yeah. because I am educated at the Danish National School of Performing Arts. Yes, you were studying there already when I arrived. Exactly, you came in my second year. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. So I've taken several of your classes. You have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's go back a bit more and sure. start with the question, how did you start to dance? Mm-hmm. So I started dancing when I was uh, 15 and it was a bit of a coincidence you know, uh, I thought a lot about that, uh, like uh, because dance has become such a uh, like mm, center in my life, and how come so somehow it seems coincidental that I ended up there. Um, I remember the moment very clearly. I was on my way home on the bike, and just like right outside my house, almost, uh, I ran into someone that I knew, a girl. Uh, who uh, uh, so we both stopped she came on her bike I came on my bike and uh, just like happened to almost run into each other and uh, she asked me where I came from and uh, and then I asked her what have you done and then she said I've just auditioned to the local dance group and I said oh that's cool and then she said you should come I was like oh no 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 no." I was like yeah 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 she was like oh yeah I've seen you dancing in like in in parties and it's like you could dance you should come and for some reason i thought uh, like i was like okay you know i could try that out so i mean i don't think i would have taken that step myself at least not at that moment but at the same time when she said it it's not like she needed to convince me a lot and then i've been thinking about why and i know there was this uh, uh, one guy that i knew uh, andreas osterberg who 
uh, was also uh, also grew up there in Varberg, and he was dancing. And he had gone on to study at the at the ballet school, the Royal Ballet School, first in Gothenburg and then in Stockholm. So, and I knew him a little bit. Uh, our parents were colleagues, his mom and my mom. So I don't know. I think it's like somehow I had something that I could sort of hook it onto somehow when she asked that question. It was some sort of reference for me. Uh, so both those persons, I've like. Uh, uh, Katarina and Andreas, like I've been thinking about like how important that was, that that happened. But so, so I started dancing in the local dance group. Of course, they were there was like, I, I remember I went to look first once. And um, uh, there was one guy in the group. So I was like, you know, locked on him. Like, what can he do? Could I do that? You know, it's like having him as a kind of a reference point. So I first looked once, and then I I tried, and and then I I started dancing. And of course, and only a few months in, uh, the other guy quit. So then I was the only uh, boy there. And um, they were of course very uh, sweet with me. You know, like any guy who walks in there, they you know they're really taking care and being nice. So uh, the local dance group was like, uh, you know, they would uh, train twice a week and there would be some classes and then there would be some sort of rehearsal because there was always something, some show in perspective. And uh, we did a few shows like ourselves that then performed at the Warburg Theater. And then we would also, there was like a little repertory that if someone asked for a little dance number, you know, so we would do a little uh, cabaret-like, you know, it had that touch, like, at least for those kind of events, you know, for the, whatever, annual meeting of uh, uh, socio-democrat uh, women organization or something like that. And then um, they, uh, like I said, they were, you know, little by little, they were like, maybe you should consider taking some more classes or you know like not wanting to push too much but at the same time so eventually i started uh, taking some other classes as well uh, and in the beginning it was mostly jazz and some maybe some would be called modern and eventually i started also taking some ballet classes there so that's how i started so and and it, this was at uh, like uh, obf in the, that uh, organization that comes this like um, long background from sort of work, uh, workers association. So it was the OBF studio in Varberg where I started dancing. Do you remember what you liked about dance? I think that um, it's like I, I'd always been very physical. Like I did a lot of s different sports before that. I think in the beginning when I started dancing, I was still keeping some of that up as well. But eventually I went only for dancing and because I started to do it more or less like every day of the week. But um, so I, it's like I had, and I had really done a lot of different sports. It's like I never quite landed in one. Um, so I think I enjoyed all the different sort of physicalities. Uh, and... Um, and I, there was something about, I guess, like the, um, 
just the eagerness of learning something new uh, and that it's like you know indifference to sports you know like because the goal is not so clear like it's not i'm aiming for anything specific it becomes like the skill itself that is interesting so it's also kind of endless no the technical work of course it is in sports you can always like fine-tune your technical work as well but there's like so many different domains in dance so it's feel i don't know i think there was something about that like physical curiosity that was so easy to to uh, expand on or or keep working on all the time and then I, i'd also been uh like uh, music had been close as well like i when i was a the first thing i started to do i was like a percussion playing percussion like since i was nine or something like that um and uh was playing sort of classical uh percussion so in the youth symphonic orchestra where actually this guy andreas that i mentioned his mom was the conductor of that orchestra but uh, <clears throat> so uh music had been close as well and also i had a lot of friends who were sort of playing guitar and more that kind of sing uh, sing a songwriter or uh, uh and um so maybe it was something about that combination also of music and movement that was fun. And how did it continue after this first dance school? Yeah, so I uh, did like a regular high school first in, in my hometown and dancing then in the evenings. And then I was planning to go on to university in, in the same kind of branch, like uh, engineering that I had been doing in high school. But I was also like really enjoying the dance. So I was thinking like maybe, you know, I should give that a try as well. So I made applications to continue into university studies in, in engineering. But then I thought like, ah, I should give it a try. And then at the time, the two schools that I knew of in Stockholm were Danshögskolan uh, that later became DOC and now Uniarts. Um, and then Ballet Academy and Ballet Academy. And at that time, the ballet academy was kind of more uh, targeting musical. Uh, and it wasn't really what I was into. And then my both the teachers that I had, uh, Lena Sjedeval-Broberg and uh, Elisabeth Lager-Jonsson, they had both, both uh, studied at Danshögskolan. So it was like a reference point, no? And some of the other peoples in the dance group that I've been in also went to Danshögskolan. So I auditioned to go there. I knew about the Royal Ballet School, but it was only, and is still only high school level. And as I had done my high school already, I did, I thought that I was, I had missed that opportunity. So I started uh, at Danshögskolan. And at the time you could, there was only a program for choreographer and for teacher, like pedagogue. So I started a pedagogy program. Um, but then after a year, uh, or during my first year there, I, we had a teacher there, Kaisa Yatch, who uh, uh, was teaching improvisation. And she was also the new head of program at the modern department of the ballet school. And uh, talking to her, I found out that you could actually get in, even if you're sort of too old. Uh, and especially, I mean, you have... There was it was quite uh, a lot of boys, because a lot of boys start a bit later, 
and especially the ones that go in the modern, like some of the ballet, they would have started already when they were young. But the ones who are not aiming for the ballet but are going to, into the modern program, a lot of them started a bit later and and uh, therefore you know, w wouldn't be ready already at high school age. So when I heard about that, I decided to uh, audition for the ballet school uh, and got in. So after a year, uh, I left Danzig school and, and went to the ballet school instead. So I started there. Uh, Why did you want to change? Well, I, w I wanted to be a dancer. Uh, so although I was studying the pedagogy programs, it was more a way for me to like dance. Uh, so I wasn't, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I was more interested in a career as a dancer. Um, so, so I shifted over there and at the time, so went into the modern program there uh, with that Kaisa then was running and there was uh, some kind of momentum there at the time with her, with her taking, taking over that. Um, and uh, although it was a modern program, it was still, you know, still at the ballet school, still quite uh, old school, um, not Kaisa's classes so much, but the other modern uh, classes. And, and it was like, we still probably got more ballet training than modern training, although we were in the modern program, it was like ballet every morning. And, um, and then uh, I... After, I think so between the first and the second year I got one of these uh, uh, scholarships or stipends to to go abroad to study over the summer from Karina Ari and um, so I got an interrail card and I went uh, uh, to first take some classes with Matt Mattox the jazz dance legend because one really important teacher for me both at Danzig School and, and uh, at the ballet school was uh, Jane Darling, who was teaching mathematics jazz. And we can talk more about her later. But uh, uh, mathematics was still alive and kicking. And so he was living in Perpignan in the south of France and he was teaching there in the summers. So I went down there and I took, I think, a week or a week or two classes with him. Uh, and then went over to Vienna to Impulse Tanz to the festival. Um, and took a few classes, a couple of weeks of classes there. And I then auditioned uh, for a choreographer, Ismail Ivo, who was also one of the uh, founders of that festival. And then went back home, continued into the program, didn't think so much about that anymore. And then like in December or something, they called me and proposed me a job. And we were starting in April or something the year after. So. Uh, I was a bit back and forth whether I should finish my education, uh, but at this, but then I thought like, okay, but I'm in the program because I want to get a job. <laughs> so if I can get it now, and if it's one that seems exciting, and so like maybe I should just go for it. So I ended up not quite finishing my second year, um, and and going to uh, uh, Stuttgart to participate in this production. Um, there is. I've had a few experiences also, like through the ballet school, that uh, training-wise was quite important to me, even if it wasn't provided by the school. It's like I remember first when I was at Danzig School, and I would also go and take like extra ballet classes in the evening at Ballet Academy. And then when I was in the ballet school, 
we also would go, some of us, and take like extra jazz in the evening classes at the uh, Ballet Academy with this uh, sort of, at the time, legendary teacher, uh, Charles Moore. So uh, there was like, next to what was happening in school, there was also some kind of like outside school uh, that was really important for me. And there was another teacher called Vladimir Mogilda, who was a ballet teacher at the school, and he was also training Tai Chi. And through an, a former student uh, that trained with him, Palle Dyrval, that I became friends with, I came to join a little bit those Tai Chi classes. So that was like he would teach them after school, you know, at six in the evening or something when the studio was free. And it was a little bit like under the radar. So it also felt a bit like this really special information that some of us got. Or So, and I think I've had this thing a lot, like I would, when I got some kind of information like that, it's like I would be really disciplined with it for a while. So I remember like I would do this Tai Chi training that I got from him, like every day before school, like I would wake up whenever, you know, like at six and I would do that training first and then go and bike over and before ballet class started at eight or something. So like, I think those were really like, I think it formed me a lot because because of the, so maybe, and then I would have the discipline to keep that up for maybe six months a year or something. But I think that was like enough to sort of really put it into the, the body. Um, and I remember also when I went to Stuttgart, I would still like in the weekends, I would still do like a ballet class on my own in my room. Like there was something I was so hooked on to this training thing still. Um, and even when in Brussels afterwards, I also remember sometimes like when we had a week off or something, I would find a place where I could go and take some classes. Or So there, there it's like I've, I've needed that a lot. Uh, and then the, I've had a few other of those experiences later in, the, in my professional life where it's like, some new information comes in and a lot of them has come uh, or like well it's not that there has been so many of them but most of them have been from uh, like martial arts related tai chi qigong and, and kung fu and it's not i'm not a practitioner it's like i i haven't trained that a lot but i've had like a few really important pieces of information and then i worked with them a lot uh, so i think that they've have influenced me very much like I think in my like with the stuff that I do now are in many ways much more formed by that but I don't teach the disciplines I mean just to be clear it's like I don't teach Qigong I don't teach Tai Chi or but just the way what what those techniques have uh, done to me I think is like more visible also in my dancing in a way not necessarily because it looks like Tai Chi but if you know what you're looking for the principles I think are very present more than maybe what you would recognize some kind of dance technique, I would guess. Great. Um, so I have this question that I ask everyone. And thinking about all this training that you've been through, could you mention some things that you are grateful for that the dance training has been training? Say that last part again. The dance training has been training. Mm. 
so it's almost like a kind of a, a second what do you call it like a byproducts of dance training or is that how you think about it mm, i think this whole podcast is trying to figure out like what are we training when we do dance training mm. and maybe it's so simple that it's dance mm. because it's dance training mm. but i don't know maybe you yeah you say byproducts maybe it's byproducts but all the things that are being trained or what things within dance are you grateful for that yeah it has been training so in the you know like when i started taking classes you know that scene that i described there when i was looking at that one boy in the dance group you know and thinking like could i do that could i do that you know it was all about that like learning a skill you know and it stayed like that for quite a long time um so where the where it was like achievement no like can i manage to do this thing uh, and uh, not all the classes that was were given to me were necessarily based on that you know so it's more like also my, what was my approach and not just mine most of the my peers had that approach too uh, so the more kind of subtle skills that the dance that I that interests me so much today about dance came also later uh, and like my interest in that came later and I maybe wasn't even so aware of their presence in the beginning uh, I mean there were some like Kaisa uh, had been to New York and done you know uh, some Cunningham that she was teaching but also some you know release uh, with that kind of umbrella term so we were already introduced to this like you know uh, sit bone heel connection and and laying on the floor and dropping your weight and you know so <clears throat> there were definitely some of these that today you know are referred to a lot as like somatic uh, works or practices uh, or techniques that uh, that were uh, in there but uh, and I probably more or less consciously picked up on some of that but uh, but then you know I mentioned the martial art training and it's like uh, uh, it came through me it came through dancing to me right so uh, I met it through dance although it wouldn't be described as dance training but there it was definitely also a much more well because that culture you know the kind of uh, um, uh, mind-body divide or so is not so present so you know how things are trained in those techniques are in many ways much more I find um, much more skillful than what the sort of Western dance traditions uh, that I was more trained in. But understandably, you know, there's techniques that are several thousands of years old, you know, and techniques that we are training there. And they're not based on on uh, aesthetics. I mean, there are, of course, aesthetics in, involved in those as well, and style and all of those things. But 
it's not about a presentation in the same way so uh, the achievement of skill like i mentioned there is seems quite different so maybe also like th those that side of the work was also introduced to me through those techniques uh, then i definitely think you know that uh, one skill that a lot of dancers develop unconsciously is the fact that it's so much group work like we are always that uh, large group and um, hardly any individual teaching you know um, so that's quite specific and i think that does a lot like the mm, some kind of sensibility or sensitivity to uh, space with people you know like uh, what kind of space th those people are or that you are together with those people so that's definitely a, a sensibility that is uh, developed i think and then of course the the sensitive like the physical sensibility to one's own body uh, so when I said this more subtle uh, skills or affects that are present in dancing that I now very curious about and, and that my own dancing while dancing is mostly where my attention is at, you know, as in difference to acquiring a certain skill or or thinking about what it looks like. You know? So moving away from visual representation or the or the visual manifestation of what a, a movement uh, you know because of course it looks like something but whether i'm identifying that movement through my kind of inner eye whether it's visually identified or if i'm trying to um, describe it to myself through other means so uh, but that came quite late in dance training and very much affected by those somatic techniques that have been more present and 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 um, uh, I wanted to uh, or I was about to say trending but I don't mean it in a bad way I just meant that they've been really important in the last 15 years in the European context and longer in the American context um, but yeah so I would say uh, um the sort of uh, sensitivity towards one's own physical presence and to the group body uh, next to the actual dancing you know now i'm speaking a bit about like the byproducts because i feel that those things we train it without knowing it or it's like we don't even train it we practice it all the time <laughs> but we don't necessarily refer to it as the thing we're training although it's part of the training it's like the filter that's present a lot um is there anything else i want to say about that maybe you know like when i said about the body mind divide and so there is definitely a mind because now i'm speaking about the physical sensitivity i mean when i speak about the group it extends maybe beyond like physicality at least my own physicality uh, but uh, there is definitely a, mm, a mind space that i also feel that dancing is you know that it's a form of being as well 
like uh, it's quite specific for me to be dancing you know like the kind of mind set it produces or or in me but also that i put myself in as a part you know when i think that i'm dancing it's not just that i'm moving my body to uh, uh to the beat or something like that you know that uh, but it is a it is a kind of um, yeah it's it's a being it's a form of being like it's a its own kind of ontological status almost of like okay dancing you know like uh, one so that's also something that i'm uh, like when i dance now it's like i i it's because i also want to spend time in that mm. um that mode of being um as we mentioned earlier i've been taking several dance classes led by you and one thing i would like to talk about is uh, the difference between doing a movement and allowing movement to happen um, that you bring up in class. And you describe movement as this like um, default mode, maybe? Like something that is ever present in the same way that maybe time and space is always present and that so is movement. Mm. And in the episode with uh, Tillman, we also mention a difference between executing and experiencing. And in your classes and some other teachers with you, I experience a shift in what is being trained. Um, I start to train some to become sensitive to, to movement rather than like controlling movement. And an ability to tap into that ever-present uh, movement, which for me is also shifting the focus from the image of like my human body and placing my body in a space and a time and relations that starts to affect me. Yeah. Um, yes. So my question to you is, what does it do for you to shift from doing a movement to allowing movement to happen? What does it do for you when dancing? Yeah. So first, the difference between those two, it's like, uh, and I I use that a lot. And I think it's because like, um, it is also related to what I said before about like the visual presentation or manifestation of, of a movement. So because of, I mean, that's mostly how we communicate also, like uh, when I try to explain something, even if I would try to make a point out of not showing so that I wouldn't create like an exact model of what it is, but rather like describing some kind of a concept or affect or whatever that the, the practitioner or student or whatever moves into, rather than saying it looks like this. No? So... But still, even then, if I don't describe it, I might be then doing it together with them. And so, you know, me modeling it will be, it would look like something. And so you have this visual representation of what the movement is. And then I, I, I really believe, and it, this is, I mean, it's, I'm, uh, I'm not, I don't, this is not a scientific, you know, like it's more of a, a experiential difference. 
but I'm pretty convinced that there is, you know, some sort of uh, difference, uh, you know, like neurologically or physically. It's like, a, and it has to do with the sensitivity that you describe, you know, like the sensitivity towards movement. Uh, so rather than saying like, do this, do that, you know, like uh, when you're making steps, uh, like right foot, left hand, this and that, and up and down, and it's like, so then you're it's like you're commanding the body, no, and and so you're telling like your your uh, cognitive capacities are kind of sitting at the top and pointing, you know, like move the foot there and up with the arm, and you know, like. Um, but then movement is really considered like uh, that kind of whatever you need to do to hit that point. Bring your left arm up, you know, and it becomes like mo the movement is just like the transportation. It almost becomes like the the not important part. Like the important part is to get there, you know, it's like do this. And it's like, okay, now you hit the mark, it means that you've done it. But then what is, but that means that the movement is already done in a way. So like, how do you get there? That's when the movement happens. So I feel like when we learn that kind, that way, uh, you know, like that I described, um, it, um, even if it's not necessarily a, d a difficult skill, you know, when I talked about achieving a certain skill, it's still, it's about like, do this, do that. Um, and it could even be inside an improvisational structure, I think. The relation to it could still be that, do this, do that. Um, and then, uh, if I know where I'm going, so even if it is that kind of movement, like bring your left arm up, but if I sort of tell myself, okay, my left arm is going to go up, and then I sort of watch it happen, <laughs> like it's gonna happen the intention is already set no but my intention is more like how is that movement articulated rather than go to that place you know so it becomes like this kind of spatial and physical coordinates rather than experienced movement so i feel that that uh, uh, catchphrase that you use there that i use it's like uh, it is a it is a way to bring your attention to the movement while it's happening rather than telling the body where to go um so, but hmm? sorry but um even if you have like you in class might show a movement mm -hmm. and still i i can still allow a movement to happen even though i know the movement that i'm gonna do yes mm. yeah so it doesn't have to be I mean, in a way, it's almost most interesting to practice that when you know what you're going to do, because yeah. that's where it's most difficult. Mm. Because when you can, you know, if you're improvising and you just say, okay, just start to, you know, bring your attention to one place that you feel that there is movement, and then you start exploring that, you know. And then it's very, it's easier in the in an improv to, you know, or, or like a not set material to, to practice that. And it's harder when it's a, a, a set form, because that's when it's so easy. I sometimes describe it like in, in teaching situations, you know this uh, expression in English of like jumping to conclusions. So it's like when someone is going to say something and you know, yeah, 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 I know what you're going to say. You know, it's like you're already there. And that's what happens sometimes with movement. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know what I'm going to do. And you jump to it rather than like actually spending time with watching how that happens. Um, so, and... 
and it can happen like you it can happen like in a micro level all the time you know it's like you start a movement and then you're a little bit ahead of yourself or you're a little you know, it's like uh so it is a way to yeah like you described it when you asked the question of bringing the uh, the sensation your attention towards the sensation of experiencing that movement rather than sending different commands spatially and physically and uh, there's an there's an osteopath that i've been seeing uh, uh, for a long time bengt elmstrom and uh, I also studied with him now the last couple of two years. And I remember some years ago when I was talking about my body, about some problem I had, and he's, he was like, I really encourage you to uh, find a different vocabulary for how you're describing. You know, it's like, what words are you using f to sort of mm, speak about your own body? Because... Uh, it's like body is like a miracle of, of you know millions of processes that are happening all the time and then it's like lift your left arm you know like i said before it's like such a poor <laughs> description of what's happening or what you can experience inside of that you know so it's also you know to yeah to to bring attention to all those uh, experiences that are present inside a movement and not to lock it down into those kind of and it's not the fault of language, you know, because you can, like, he he didn't ask me to not speak. He just asked me to use a different vocabulary. So it's not to, you know, I'm saying that because I don't want to fall into this uh, cliche of, like, the body, that there is no word, or, you know, like, dance is this art form that doesn't speak, or, you know. I remember a choreographer uh, that can rem remain unnamed, but uh, who said, like, ah, oh, dance uh, has this... Uh, capacity to express the things that words cannot and uh, for example a day in the uh, in the autumn in the forest and i was like you just said it you know like those were words and you described it and it's like so it's I, yeah anyway just not to make that divide so we can definitely continue talking and speaking about the body but it's just like how you know so that um, and then uh, yeah that kind of descriptive spatial physical body part you know like hand it's like hand what do you mean hand like there is no hand you know i mean of course there's something that we call hand but that's just an approximation of something so what are what is what is the movement that you want me to do that might you know that can be very generically described as lift your hand up you know but it's so much else that's happening so yeah, the phrase is there to 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 bring attention towards that, which is also really helpful when you teach that you actually teach the phrases or forms in mm. silence mm -hmm. yeah. and often show it, and then yeah. we copy over and over to come closer and closer to what it is, but from different uh, angles yeah. and this way that often is teach like, and then your right hand goes, mm. which puts a lot of emphasis on this right hand whatever hand is yeah and is really minimizing and splitting the movement in strange ways yeah yeah and i mean if you want to make you know if you if your aim is to make everyone move in unisono in a certain way you know then those kind of uh, uh, things are really helpful but if your interest is not there there actually can be more in the way rather than helping and of course that's uh, personal but 
that way of doing a movement or hitting those marks mm. we talked about the, that sense of dancing before like i don't feel like i'm dancing in that yeah. in that controlling uh, way i agree yeah no and i can see sometimes a lot of people doing things that people would describe as dance where i feel like there is no dance happening here you know mm. uh, like because uh, i see people doing stuff but i don't see them dancing I mean, that's a huge discussion, of course, and it's not to say, you know, like that I own any definition of what dancing is to say, like, this is real dance and this is not, it's really just a subjective, uh, but like when I'm talking about that thing, like what, what I'm interested in is that experience of dancing. I can sometimes see uh, even, you know, like something that you would be presented on, it might be a cliche to use that example but like so you think you can dance you know (laughs) maybe that's a good uh, title then so you think you can dance it's like you can do a lot of stuff but you're not dancing or you know (laughs) so you think yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah for sure i mean that's like what what that space is like that dancing um, space is is surely not about lift your hand up or for me okay Moving on. Yeah. Something um, you and I have discussed before is um, this idea of being able to not think. And it's funny because I've had many uh, times where I've been provoked by someone who said like, yeah, dance is not thinking. It's about, uh, I don't know, feeling or whatever, these kinds of things. And I had this sense of needing to defend dance and saying like, no, dance is thinking or it's another kind of thinking as a way to claim that the dance is smart or something. So then it has to um, be thinking. But then I had or I have had a lot of very overwhelming physical experiences where I've had this sense that there is like no space for articulated language thought. And you mentioned this in an article that was published in Dagens Nyheter, this Swedish newspaper. And uh, it was a culture debate started by Johan Hilton, who's a theater critic, uh, where he was asking about the development within Swedish performing arts. And sort of asking the field what we want and if we had stopped thinking. And in your reply, you write a paragraph about craft and you mentioned the relationship between theory and practice. And you write something like this, freely translated by me, that uh, the importance of thinking, but also to have the ability to not think, to know with the body and to work with knowledge moving differently than the intellectual and the analytical way. So could we develop this idea of not uh, thinking? Why is it important? Yeah. I mean, I saw, I, I saw, I mean, first just to say, I really agree with you with what you were saying about like this, um, patronizing that uh, dance can get you know like uh, from uh, like that dance get patronized um, as this like thing that 
doesn't know what it's doing and then it needs someone else you know like it the dance critique or whoever because the the dancer is just this little creature no uh, who uh, is like pure expression or something and then someone the intellectual is watching this and articulating what it is and uh, so the dancer is just this doer you know and and there would be then the difference between like knowing what you're doing or just doing right uh, and for sure dance has worked to gain some like credibility in terms of like relating to thinking and trying to show that you're smart or you know like i'm not just this body because you know with that kind of body mind divide being that representation of the body and also all the sort of sexual connotations with dancing and that the and the aesthetic ideals of the dancing body that becomes that attractive seductive body no so it's also uh, related to that as like to claim some kind of agency you know to not be objectified in that way and then to become a subject then it's like speak you know uh, so when the thing starts to speak right it's you can't then you doesn't really you don't allow for the same kind of uh, objectification yeah so all for all the good reasons you know that dance has needed to push for that and to make itself a subject and to have the dancer or performer you know becoming a subject and rather than an object uh, to be you know admired or appreciated or seduced by or and and i've definitely been through that as well you know and of course that also relates to the kind of a, a conceptual turn let's say you know that has been uh, present in dance as well that sometimes also then is just like rejected as ah they're just trying to look smart you know <laughs> uh, mm, and uh, and myself you know like uh, do, uh, doing the PhD and, and getting all that kind of theoretical input and so as well you know and feeling what how that has affected me and being able to speak about those things in that kind of manner having that kind of language has been really important but and as i mentioned before you know like when i took this example of a uh, being in the forest in the autumn or something you know and i said those are words as well so i've definitely also have a critique towards that the the dance that understands itself as the kind of silent dancer no or silent dance this thing that is just like and usually it, it lands in emotion for some reason i mean it could be so many but not i mean it lands in other different places as well also in like abstraction you know uh, making the body more abstract as well you know like the unitard and the the straight face you know that doesn't show expression that only becomes lines in space and architectural you know time space constructions and so on to make the body and the subject disappear in that way you know and in a way i'm all for you know like uh, i don't mind ma making myself into an object you know but that's different than being objectified by someone else uh, so uh, i enjoy n disappearing into dance you know like to, m that my subject is not 
that is not me dancing you know like that mind space or that being that i mentioned of dancing is also about that like it's a it's a disappearance of self somehow no so then it's a de-subjectification of as and and so maybe it's it's uh, again like a kind of a third way you know so it's not whether you're thinking or you're not thinking but it's like what kind of thinking or and and uh, uh the not thinking there there i can actually give like a really clear reference uh it was something that i read uh in reading um uh Knausgård, the Norwegian writer, his, uh, you know, this uh, um, epic self-biography, uh, My Struggle. And um, I don't remember where it was. Like, I, 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 I read them through all of them, but very kind of like, just all the way through somehow. Uh, and uh, the, But one thing that stayed with me there was something he said, uh when he said that uh, there was a critique towards copying so when in art schools like you were not supposed anymore to copy the great masters you know uh, but to find your own like thing and then he claims and i mean i don't know that around this time was also when theory became more present in in art education and then he said but uh but this is a misunderstanding of what copying means. Because when you're copying, it's not that you're learning how to do that thing that they have done. You're learning how to not think. And I thought that was beautiful. Because I definitely understand the critique of copying. You know, it's not that I think, oh, we should go back to copying the, <laughs> the old masters. Or, you know, and, and when I teach as well. I, it's not that I think that copying is the best way or you should do like me, you know, this thing. But at the same time, the way you also described it there, like sometimes when I'm teaching set material in a dance class, it's like, copy me. I'm not going to say anything. And there I think it's about like, don't think, you know, let's do this. And then I also say, if you have a question, don't ask me, show me. So if there's something you don't know, do it so that I see and then I can answer by doing it you know and hope and and so we can have a nonverbal discussion about what something is no and so there is something in that kind of copying then as he understands it which is about like learning how to not think so I feel like reflection for sure you know like there is a moment for reflection and thinking and talking about things I do it all the time uh, but I also feel that there is something else that also doesn't make that divide, you know, because uh, it's not like, oh, I'm not going to think about what I'm doing, you know, as a kind of rejection to reflection, or like, oh, I don't want to talk about it, or that's not, like, the not thinking is not that, you know. It's more like, I mean, they use that term sometimes in... in, in, uh, in um, meditation like Zen meditation or vipassana uh, like a non-thinking so it's not not thinking it's like non-thinking <laughs> so it's some kind of active thing that is not thinking because it's all because not thinking might just sound like a negative thing i'm just not gonna think but like to actively practice the non-thinking is something else 
So how to learn how to not think is almost like learning how to stop thinking so that you can do something else that you can't do when you're all the time thinking. And I mean, thinking is also such a uh, generic term. It can be so many different things. But because it makes me think now when I'm talking about it, like a, there's one of these... Uh, you know, 10 points to the student or something like that, that uh, sometimes is uh, ref uh, referred to as given by John Cage, but I think that there's an other referenced uh, sister, someone that I don't remember the name of now. Uh, but there is a moment when they say, I, if I'm referring right to this, I might be mistaking. Um, doing is one thing, reflecting is another, don't confuse them or something similar or like if I don't know if it's reflection or if it's evaluating or something like that but that sort of makes that divide like don't think while you do no like and I've always had a little bit of problem with that because it also sounds like just don't think about it just do it and I feel like it that doesn't work for me because the doing is a kind of a thinking you know it's like it, it's like when I'm doing I'm doing something else then it's just not not thinking or not reflecting. So I don't know if in the inside that uh, point there, if there's like a, a misinterpretation there about like, because I feel that I have to be very reflective when I practice. Uh, so it's so I don't feel like I should, you know, uh, turn off that kind of cognitive faculty of reflecting just because I should do instead. But it's monitored in a different way. So I speak about uh, when this follow the movement uh, that I was working on as a practice, we were, I was making a divide between cognitive and sensorial capacities which is also not true, it's also like a false divide, you know, and category, but we still use the words to say things, so... Uh, and it's a little bit related to this, like, jumping to conclusions, what I said, like, oh, I know what it is, you know, like that kind of mind. So I start doing something, I don't know, I want to stay with the sensation and discover that sensation, and if I make up my mind about what it is, I already stopped a little bit the investigation. So, in that way, like, if that's your, if that's your way of thinking, so if you're thinking as a way to name and define, then yes, you need to stop thinking, you know, to be able to investigate some other field. But I think that there is other, like thinking is not just only that. And that, because it's not like I, you know, uh, wipe myself out and go into trance in that dance being, like I'm very present. So it's not like, oh, don't think and just disappear into some kind of like a experience cl esoteric cloud you know there's a lot of rigor and a lot of like precision in that way of not thinking and that kind of reflective thinking that you described that is still present what kind of thinking is that yeah I don't know how to describe it, or if it's even right to describe it as thinking, you know? Like if I, if I say learn to not think, then maybe it is something else. Maybe it's not, maybe it doesn't gain from being th thought of as thinking. Mm. Like uh, Eleanor Bauer, uh, who is doing her PhD here in Stockholm, uh, had the, I don't know if she still has that title on her project, was like, 
how dance thinks. And I remember having that conversation with her as well. Like, does it make sense to use that word still, you know, like, or do we just then put it into a category where it doesn't belong, you know? So maybe leave thinking to thinking, you know, if I say learn how to not think. So uh, maybe it's not a way of thinking, but thinking is one thing, you know, feeling is another thing, experiencing is another thing. And maybe this just is like dancing <laughs> then. Or maybe you can do that in other things, but it's like, or practicing, you know, like that thing when you become the thing that you're doing. Uh, and it's like, and the world disappears, but there is a lot of presence in that. So it's not the world disappears like if you would, you know, uh, wipe out, you know, <laughs> in a kind of like, whoa, high or something like that. Yeah, because I really relate to the experience of disappearing. But but it could also be formulated that it's so physically present yeah. that that I'm um usually at a like a distance from things and yeah. there when i disappear i actually appear into yeah. the the physicality of my body and the surrounding so intensely yeah yeah and you're able to, but you were it's like it's not like you don't remember what happened afterwards you know that's what i mean it's not like a blackout or mm. something like that you know so there's a lot of presence in it but maybe it's not yeah I mean, it's a different being mode uh, than the thinking yeah so yeah that's what i that's what that was referring to you know like and when i said don't think but know you know like uh, there's something like that no like learn how to not think and instead know because usually you you know those are like oh i think about it oh, i thought a lot about it and now i know <laughs> but that like epistemologically that there would also be another mode of knowing that it's not like I know it because I thought so much about it, you know, like there is a presence of knowledge in what I'm doing, that it's there, and I don't need to think about it to be able to know that. Like that's not the faculty, the kind of cognitive faculty that is guiding this procedure that I'm involved in. Yeah, so that's what the non-thinking could be. And if I remember right, in the article it's also in relation to education. And yeah. talking about this importance of thinking, but also the yeah. non-thinking. Yeah. So how do you teach that? Or how do you include it in an education? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't, it's not so difficult. I mean, maybe it's difficult to formulate it like in a good way, you know, like now to say, in order to do this, you need to do that or that or mm. that, you know. But I think, again, it's like it's present so it's a lot about addressing it because i think you know when i said that even in the you know in the early dance training like maybe it wasn't maybe i wasn't aware of that that was going on in my body or you know uh, at the time but i'm sure it was just like it just wasn't addressed in that way so i think those i mean we spend a lot of time not thinking all the time you know so it's not like it's something that we don't know um it's just that you don't think about it when you don't, you know, it's like, <laughs> so it doesn't reveal itself to you in that way, but it's present. It happens a lot. I think people, you know, even when you're lost in thought, you're not thinking necessarily, you know, like it, even if we use thought and thinking like that, being lost in thought doesn't mean thinking. 
uh, you know, in the in the sense of like you should think about that. That mm. doesn't mean you should sit down and be lost in thought. You know, like it's addressing something and like trying to. So. Uh, We talked about it in the in the, this research project where that was called a movement material. That this practice of follow the movement was. We talked when I said this sensorial and cognitive uh, faculties and how they are like entwined, but also somehow uh, distinct from each other. Maybe you can't separate them, but they're still distinct somehow. So uh, there was one uh, feedback we had from practicing this i don't remember if it was some of the uh, if it was a teaching situation or if it was pr from practicing with uh, the group swarman the swarm that i was working with um but someone said it was like ah oh, it's like i it's like driving from the back seat it's like a distance to where things are happening so this thing about making things happen and sort of watching them emerge rather than driving the process and bringing it to a certain place no so that kind of buffer between you and what's happening, which I feel is a kind of a specific mind space as well, like it's a space, no? although it's not a physical space, it's experienced as, I think I came to think about it now because you said a distance, you know, like there's an experience of distance between something that's happening and where you are. Uh, so you can disappear into that space in between you and that thing you know um and i address that as a kind of suspension like a sus the suspension as a space in between you and and, and yourself somehow uh, but um so i think that's happening all the time but b bringing your attention to it so in a teaching situation, it can be like talking about it like you and I do now before we move into a certain task uh, so that you're actually noticing when that happens or not. Uh, you know, just like when you're sitting and, and like in, I mean, meditating and, and just watching your own breath or whatever your object of meditation is and, and, and noticing when you fall off. So that experience of noticing that mm -hmm. So in the same way, when you're dancing and noticing where your mind is at, uh, and noticing where it goes somewhere else, and like, oh, now, so, and then noticing, like, oh, now, it's like I disappeared for a while, or oh, now I'm just thinking about that, and why was like, so addressing these things as a way to, you know, to technique them, you know, just uh, in relation to what we said before. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how does that happen when we're doing it? Because it is happening, whether we're, you know, bringing our attention to it or not. I also just think it's such a cool response to the in the article because he asks, "Have you stopped thinking?" Yeah. To also say like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes and no, right? Yeah, so it's just like exactly. we're definitely thinking a lot about, but it's also it has its moment to not. Yeah. Because you know? it's not like we're never going to think about it again. It's just like you need to learn how to think about it, but you also need to learn to not. Mm. And we and know, know we yeah. know how to not also. Yeah. yeah. Yes. The final question mm -hmm. of this podcast. Um, 
I feel like I have a couple of things like are that, but maybe we I, yeah. maybe we do the final question and then because I feel like I had left a couple of things hanging a little yeah. bit, but we can address them after your late, last question. Yeah, the last question is uh, short. What is a good dancer? Right. Um, you and I we talked a couple of times about um, like. A, you asked a question to some colleagues and you asked a question to me like whether I think I'm a good dancer. And you just mentioned like people had, you were surprised that people had like a problem to articulate that, either to say that, yes, I'm a good dancer. No? Uh, and we talked about why could that be? Or, you know, it's like, because then it's a more of also like a kind of a self-recognition and these things. So... Because maybe I could like phrase, well, to, to be a good dancer, you need to this and this and this and that. And then if you ask me, okay, do you know how to do that? And I would say yes, but I would still not say myself, I am a good dancer. You know, <laughs> So I think it's more about like a, a claiming that somehow that can be difficult. But maybe related to more kind of masochistic and, and the dancer, man, you know, of aiming for some kind of perfection that is impossible and therefore you're never good enough or something like that. And of course, a good dancer for me has meant many different things during the whole... Uh, but I think one way to address it now, in to answer your question, is to think about what kind of assessment criteria we have in the auditions for the program. Because no? there it's like where the rubber hits the road, no? like it really materializes, because we are supposed to uh, assess the qualities of these people uh, and You're preceding my notes now. Ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, it's and, good. <laughs> and to say, this is better than that, no? And those are really great and very difficult processes, those audition processes that I've been involved with the last years. You know, I've also been on the panel a few times for the BA in dance here in Stockholm. Uh, and it's always like super interesting, very difficult and super interesting. And not just in relation to like actually making a choice and creating the group, you know, obviously that's difficult. But it's really when things get discussed somehow and together with that panel, you really need to talk about those things no? and look at that paper. What does that mean? You know, and why is that person that more than another one? It's very interesting and, and you know, impossible in a way as well, because we also want the arts to be you know qualitative and not quantitative so there is definitely a kind of physical accessibility you know that i look for because of course you know maybe it's a little bit wrong in this method that i'm using now to use these assessment criteria because we're also supposed to teach them to become good dancers they don't have to be good when they come in but what we're looking for still reveals something no and so there is definitely accessibility physically you know and and you can see someone it's even just like you know uh, being able to uh, take in information that you get you know it's like um, whether you're with and that sometimes depends on how much dance training they've had, but it's not necessarily related to that. People have other physical practices, and some people just are more physical, you know? I mean, our sort of chemistry sets off in different ways, no? And some really need to move much more and therefore develop that skill 
much more no so we also have people who walk in who never took a dance class and maybe shouldn't even apply to a, like a higher education in dance but who are really far in terms of the accessibility in their in their physicality and sometimes you can explain that because they had been practicing something you know before but sometimes you really don't know where it comes from so there is talent right there's such a thing as having that as a given um so that means just like uh you know that you see something and you understand it so it's in a way that kind of knowing no that we said it's like you don't need to get that explanation i saw it now i'm doing it or you told me and so i do it it's like there is a, that kind of accessibility so that's definitely a, a skill that i consider a dancing skill then um uh, and the way then we look it's like then comes these collaborative skills you know when we talked about being in a group and so communicative and collaborative skills so it's not only between you and the teacher but it's also between you and your peers and so that you know that you're sensitive to what's happening in the room if someone uh, if you need support that you say that or if something happens like that kind of mm, playing the space no in that's definitely something I see that as a skill that I think a good dancer should be able to do and read. Uh, and then we have something that we added uh, into the curriculum, uh, into those criteria, and that we called. And I'm paraphrasing; I don't know. It's but it's something like dealing with complexity or capacity to navigate within complexity, or something like that. And there it's about, um, like, you don't have all the information and you're going to have to find out, you know? So it's not like I'm not going to tell you exactly what you're going to do. I'm going to present a problem and then you have to see how you figure that out. So that means, for example, if to give a concrete example, it's like, you're going to walk across the floor, you're going to start turning, and then you're going to follow that rotation down to the floor, and you're going to maintain the rotation until you come up again. So, uh, and I'm not going to show you how to do it. So then that's like a, a, a movement problem, you know, and then I want to see how you solve that problem. And then I could add something else like, okay, you're going to do that, but then these two things are not allowed, you know. You can't touch the floor with your the palm of your hand, or and you can't sit. How would you do it then? You know, it's like, and then it gets a lot more complex. So how do I use my body then? Or, and did I still maintain the rotation? Or you know, it's like so. Then it reveals all these like capacities to have too much information at the same time, and also notice that you fail, which is fine. You know, I'm not asking you to do it perfectly. I'm asking you to work with that, and then it's nice to see someone go like, oh. Ah. You know, because you at least they notice that they didn't do it, you know. And a lot of sometimes someone will just do it and not notice that they did it, for example. You know? And then I feel like, okay, then that's a, a, a lack of like uh, attention or reflection to what happened or, you know. So, so that's kind of awareness, no? So to give someone that kind of problem that maybe doesn't even have a solution, you know, it's almost like a, I'm referring to these like meditational practices of the koan you know of, of this uh, that they use in 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 zen like a, a something that doesn't have an answer 
whatever, like who were you before you were born or something like that. It's like, uh, so the idea is not to come up with the right answer. Like the idea is to be with that problem somehow, no? And to be able to navigate in that problem. So that's an interesting skill, I find. And that's not a specific uh, uh, dance skill that you would, you know, that you would find in a, uh, necessarily in all the assessment criterias of a dance audition, I think. So that's also maybe something specific about what the program aims for. And that, of course, has to do with something that I think. So if I leave that kind of that document and say something about it, um, uh, then I think the way I'm looking at it now is to be able to put yourself in the dancing. You know, when I describe that as a kind of space or a kind of way of being, when I see a dancer working and I see them like working, you know, not just doing, but like what, being in that dance while it happens and both sort of like disappearing in it the way you described it, but also like that kind of presence with it, no? So not disappearing in it, like not thinking about what they're doing, but so when I see that, then then that's what I appreciate a lot in a, in a dancer nowadays. And that can be, um, I mean, some, some dancers, some people have that, you know, skill, even if they, even maybe won't be dancer, but they are really good at that, finding that space for themselves. But then, of course, when I see a dancer who like who is like well trained in terms of like how accessible it's the body is to them, the more the the better that dialogue between the dancer and the dance can be articulated, you know. So it's not to say like anyone can dance or you know like I still believe in a highly trained dancer. So when I say that thing that you don't need to be a dancer, you know, everyone can dance or something like that. I mean, you you can be talented in having that skill, even if you haven't moved through training. But then watching it, I still appreciate more a really trained physical dancer having that experience. So, yeah, that's what I, I think that would be the today's answer. Great. So was there anything you wanted yeah, to well, add? There was. There were two things. Uh, I said at one moment I mentioned Jane Darling, who was teaching Matt Mattox, and I said we can come back to that later. And then I haven't, because uh, she was someone that I felt, you know, in relation to like she was teaching one specific technique, like the Matt Mattox technique, quite uh, uh, rigidly. Like we weren't doing anything else than that. But I really felt that she was all the time teaching like dance through that filter uh, and she also danced a lot of other stuff like she danced with this uh, Swedish company Vindhexur uh, Eva Lundqvist uh, group and and uh, and I felt that all the her dancing experience that she had could be like addressed through that technique and there was so much like a um what would you say like a um, musicality 
uh, accent and so also because it's so connected to the jazz and it also has the kind of jazz improv improvisational although we were never improvising with it really but there is some kind of like aliveness in how it's played you know when you look when you listen to jazz and that was present in the in the dancing as well and then there was something about the kind of like it's very uh, smooth kind of you know like a smooth as in a jazzy kind of way you know you're kind of like smooth you know like uh, it has that kind of material almost you know mm. uh, and it's kind of like demi-plie all the time so you're sort of hovering a little bit and has the kind of like accents and so you know it was wasn't something i enjoyed her classes a lot at the time but it wasn't something that i was thinking about that i was getting at the time so this is really like a I mean, although I appreciated them a lot, that side of it only revealed itself to me later on. And I don't know if that was like her intention or anything. I think it was just like her presence and that she had all of those skills. And then she could address, you know, it was easy for her or at least it seemed easy for her to to like somehow transmit all of that knowledge through that technique even without saying the words that, you know, expressing it in the way that I do it now. Yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to say something about was, uh, you know, I mentioned a little bit about artistic research and, and since I've done this PhD, and I think maybe it's also uh, in my, uh, on my mind now because there's currently a debate going on uh, in, in Sweden. Uh, on artistic research, I don't know if you've seen it, but it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it came up because there was a, uh, one of the PhD candidates from Uni Arts here in Stockholm that uh, didn't pass the the, um, what's it called, the Viva Voce, like the actual defense, no, so where the uh, assessment committee uh, did not approve, and, uh, and after that, some you know people have been there's been a debate going on. Uh, and uh, I mean now I'm, uh, it's Bogdan Sieber. I didn't say his name, and I don't know why we shouldn't. Anyway, so uh, I've just been watching that happen now uh, during the last month or so, and I just feel that there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings about what that artistic research is. So I thought I'd just use a little moment to say something about that, if that's okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there's this idea that. And I don't know if it comes from in Scandinavian language that there is the word for research, forskning, that is like heavier somehow than the English word research. Because immediately when people say forskning, they think about science. So although there is a word for science, wetenskap, and scientific, wetenskapli, so forskning is not science, right? Like those are different words. Uh, and and yet immediately it gets pinned down in the understanding that academia is science. You know, although we have this long tradition of humanities, you know, and I think early university studies, well, our first universities were humanities, not science. It was more about the language and, you know, literal and so uh, and nature science, you know, of course, also has its place there. Uh, and 
I mean, I'm not trying to say anything about the history of uh, universities, but just like how deeply rooted that uh, that uh, Vetenskap, science, ha is in forskning, the word itself. So even people will like uh, change them sometimes. So I remember there was one of the entrances into the debate where someone said, good art doesn't need scientific explanation. And of course not, you know, but that's also not what artistic research is about. Uh, and I remember a debate at, or kind of, I don't know, not a debate, but a get-together, let's say, before UniArts was formed, and there were some like meetings and, and symposiums and discussions about artistic research. And there was a, a, a someone from the art school here, the Royal Academy of the Fine Arts here in Stockholm, that came and uh, brought a, a little model uh, with that could not stand. It was like a little platform on one side. It, stood, it said... Uh, uh, so it was like a stick, and on each end of the stick there was a little platform. And on one of the platforms it said art, and on the other platform it said science. But it was in diagonal like this, so it could not stand. So when you try to put it on art and drop it, it would fall. If you put it on science, you drop it and it would fall. And this was for him like a kind of a pun of saying art and science don't belong together. No? And it's I was thought about like, First of all, no one is trying to put art and science together. That's not what artistic research is about. And at the same time, he wants to prove that point by a scientific method, right? <laughs> by building something that cannot stand and then thinking that it makes a point about art. No, so in a way, he's almost like uh, uh, disqualifying his own argument by his argument. No, But this is so strong like that that uh, uh it's so entrenched somehow that understanding and and the fear of academization and we're going through it also now in denmark because denmark was really late to get on board so we only now have our bas and mas and there's still not a, a phd uh, the so and meeting a lot of resistance to that and i just feel it's like uh, so stuck maybe in this like body-mind divide that we talked about before you know like this they're saying uh, you can't think no it's like because if you think then it's science and if you think while you're doing art then you're destroying the art no and i feel it's so such a poor level of discussion somehow but it's also so clear that it's very very present you know because i find this at kind of like high level in a way like artists that work on a very high level that still has that uh, prejudice and and another thing about that is that it supposes that the art is kind of free so if you put art inside of academia you frame it, no? And that artists are free art uh, is then like locked down by some evil science, no? But my experience, and this is really, you know, just to give another point of view on that, is that 
for me, it was very freeing to go into the academia. You know, I mentioned it a little bit, uh, that to not be stuck in those modes of production. And of course, a sensitivity to what's trending, but also kind of a sensitivity to not do exactly what's trending, but a little bit so that it's innovative, but not too innovative, because then it falls outside the category completely. So like how to challenge enough so that it looks new, but it still respects all the paragraphs in the protocol somehow, you know? And it's not free, you know? And also finding the funding, looking at what it look, what the, 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 the applications looks like. It's not like it's free. It's not like you can say, I want to do art, give me the money, you know? So I don't understand that idea that the, that the free market is in, the, in relation to the art market would be free. You know, just like the free market isn't free, right? Uh, it needs to be regulated, you know. So, and the art market has its regulations as well. well I mean, for in terms of like who's hot and who's not and what's selling and, and stuff like that. But also, because uh, it's tax money, so it needs to be regulated, right? So, and also the institutional. Now I'm talking about the independent artists, but I mean, if you're working at the, Dramaten, you know, the, the National Theatre here in Stockholm, it's not like that's very free. They're not very free in what kind of art production they can do. So, uh, there, like, uh, there is no free. <laughs> it's just like different kind of framings. And then maybe framings where you feel more or less free or where you're able to navigate your freedom better than in another place. So, and, and, and just to, to conclude that, my little you know, uh, manifesto slash rant or whatever. Uh, uh, everyone doesn't need to do artistic research. It's not like, uh, I said, for me, it's it was very freeing and very, like, uh, it was a good match. But I don't think everyone should do that, you know? And I'm, I can, I'm sure that there are people, I can see that, like when I said that navigating freedom, I can see that there are people who navigate their freedom really well in the art scene, you know? So good for them. Uh, and they don't need to go anywhere else. So it's also important just to say, like, it's not like art belongs in the academia, but it's a, it's a new place for the art to exist as well. And and there's it can, it can do something that wasn't there before, you know, in a good way. So, uh, yeah, it just becomes kind of like, like a lot of discussions, not like they become um, polarized, like as if we need to say whether you're, uh, you know, with me or against me. So, uh, for me, it was great. Maybe for someone else, it isn't. But, uh, and then this, like, what we, what I feel that I want to figure out by that artistic research in terms of what some things we addressed here, you know, when we talked about thinking and not thinking and so on. It's also to make that a kind of positive, so not a negative as not thinking, you know, like that mode of being and the kind of knowledge and, and, and affect and expressions that it can develop uh, is a super interesting place to be for me. So my two cents for artistic research. Did Thank I, you. Did I leave any question marks? We've maybe talked long, long enough anyway. Yes. I think we're rounding it up. Good.
Or is there anything else you would like me to ask you? Hmm. Uh, no. Uh, I feel like uh, it... Uh, I mean, you and I, we've talked before about these things. And in a way... I've enjoyed more our conversations because then it was more conversation. <laughs> you know, this becomes like an interview in a different way and I talk much more than you. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, it's your pod and you're running it and that's what it looks like, you know, and the kind of accumulation of different people saying what they do and so So I guess it makes sense that we end up there. But uh, so I could just end with a little gratitude of being invited and also that you're doing that because I feel like it's at a you know the the studio you know where like not in like talking about the studio and not the stage and so on you know like the dancing that happens in the studio because I also the, the research also happens in the studio for me so to bring attention to that and to address it as training you know and uh, I think it's great Thanks for the invitation and thanks for the uh, mission. Thank you for joining and thank you whoever is listening. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye.